This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away back, goal! Go hey, gets a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. We have an unbelievable show for you coming up in moments. With the Yankees in town to take on the Oakland Athletics, the start of three two-night games at the Coliseum, then, of course, a Thursday day game, then the Chicago White Sox come to town. I can tell you right now, I'm in the studios in San Francisco of NBC ESPN, I didn't get to hear it, but ESPN has done a, it looks like a fabulous tribute to our man, Liam Hendricks, former athletic about his battle with cancer and it's following him through chemotherapy and his wife. Hopefully we'll be able to watch it, obviously with, you know, YouTube and everything. I'm sure we're going to be able to find it, but, uh, now, just mentioning the White Sox and knowing that Liam is going to be showing up here on Friday. So cool that ESPN did a full tribute to him. So I just got to watch it. This is ESPN. This is their 7 o'clock cast. So this is everybody's getting done with dinner on the East Coast. And the people who actually still watch ESPN got to see a nice little tribute to our guy, Liam Hendricks. So hopefully we'll be able to talk to Friday, uh, be able to tape something with him before we head to the treehouse on Friday. Uh, David Feldman, our A's historian, we talked about it the other day. We are going to do it. Top 10 A's who also played for the Yankees. Now, we've had our funny list, whether we talked about it on the air or we did a lot of texting off the air. You know, my my joke, uh, the great Louis Polonia. I mean, who can ever forget the incredible A's slash Yankees career of now Mariners broadcast Mike Blowers. Uh, you could talk about a guy that is a A's great as a manager and a Yankee great as a end of the career AAA catcher. You know him as Robert Melvin. <laughs> I don't think we're getting these names. But we're going to have our top ten. Is David Fel- – what time is – who are the guests? Uh, we're going to have uh, David Feldman at 4.15. Uh, Eno Saris okay. of The Athletic is here. I saw him. He'll be here at 5. And we talked with Brian Hoke of MLB.com who covers the Yankees. He'll be here at 5.30. So Feldman, 4.15. Saris, 5. Hoke, 5.30. Uh, my question to you and to, to um I have my Feldy, favorite, by the way, of all time. Is it, is it Billy Butler? It is not country breakfast. Uh, well, there's a couple the guys. Way, which, as of right now, you know what's funny about that? Which, Because as you know, when my, my mother-in-law passed away, 
Uh, a lot of you don't know, my mother-in-law passed away. Um, we inherited her cat, and her cat meant so much to her. And my one daughter, one of the twins, had such a special relationship with my mother-in-law that it's really sweet that my daughter is now taking over the, the, the cat. So we now had to figure out how to mix dog and cat. Somehow it's worked. But we now have a cat, and it's my mother-in-law's cat that now my daughter takes care of. It's really, it's really a sweet. We could do a special. We could do a lifetime movie on it. So special. <laughs> I do want you to know, though, why I even bring that up is that the there's there's the wet cat food and the dry cat food. The dry cat food is now Cody, if you can believe it, it dispenses every so often. It's got my daughter's voice calling the cat. Didn't realize these things existed, but I have that in my house. The wet food, take a guess, the wet cat food is in which bowl? Uh, the dog bowl? No? The cat food goes in the cat bowl? I don't know. I thought this was a trick question. That's why I said dog bowl. Sometimes you just don't get it. I wonder if the audience gets, gets it that sometimes you just don't get it. What did I miss? Who did you just bring up? Oh, Country Breakfast. Billy Who did Butler? we do a big promotion uh, for? Billy Butler. And what was the promotion? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know what the promotion was. That's why I didn't get it. I wasn't here. It was a country, country breakfast bowl. Oh, I didn't know that. See, now I know. I'm enlightened. The cereal bowl. <laughs> we ran television commercials for it. Well, now I know. It was a big deal. You don't remember that? No. Is this the A's show? What show is this? That was like 10 years ago. No, it wasn't. He was here in like 18 or 19. It was after the Royals, right? Was he on the World He was on the World Series team, right? Yes. Maybe it was 15 or yeah, 16. It was no, somewhere, see, they, see, eight, see, when you've actually seven years been doing ago. this a long time, unlike you guys who show up for a couple years, all these years. Well, for long-time A's fans, they know what the hell I'm talking about. The cat is eating cat food out of the Billy Butler Okay, breakfast. now that makes sense. Okay. All right. But I, was, what I didn't realize is, I can only make references going back to 2020 <laughs> or 2021. But there are there are several players that play for both teams on the Yankee roster right now. Oh, and and ours. You got uh, Billy McKinney, Josh Donaldson, Lou Trevino. You know I love me some JD. Uh, you got. Uh, by the way, I got a text JD. I am not going to be at the Yankee series. And by the way, let's just throw it out here: why I'm in San Francisco, why you were there. Um, and why I will not be on pregame, and I haven't been on pregame, and I've only been on part of postgame. Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of you know I always fill in for Brody Brazil when Brody takes days off. Everybody needs time off. I'm the only one who doesn't, so I'm like, yeah, I'll fill in for him. Uh, but Brody has been dealing with a little something. He's fine. It's nothing that's going to – it's just a little something that's an irritant. So uh, Brody's going to be out till Friday. So I will continue to do NBC Sports pre and post game live through Thursday. Hopefully he'll be back on Friday. Uh, but if you're wondering, like, where's Brody? Brody's fine, just dealing with a little something, and uh, he should be back on Friday. But get better, the great Brody Brazil. We miss you. Yeah, well said. Uh, so yeah, I'll be here tomorrow. So are we? Gonna- there's a reason he hasn't been making YouTube videos. He doesn't look so pretty right now. <laughs> Uh, are we going to try to get Donaldson where he just comes over and sits here and he looks at you on the camp through the camera? Uh, I, I'm going to try. You know, I, things are going well for J.D. in New York right now. They just had a a closed-door meeting, him and Aaron Boone. You're going to hear from Brian Hoke from MLB.com. 
that it wasn't a clearing of the year. Something's going on. There's a lot of bad going on with the Yankees, and I love it. I love it. If you haven't heard, New York baseball right now is a dumpster fire. Okay? Tomorrow. And I keep mentioning this, and I know that uh, everybody maybe get tired of it. People might say, why do you keep mentioning how bad things are in New York? Well, because I love to see New York baseball fail because the drama is so good. You watch. <laughs> you might watch The Bachelor. You might watch Survivor. You might watch The Kardashians. I watch baseball drama. That's my Kardashians. And tomorrow, Uncle Steve... You know, the $16 billion hedge fund guy, and he's such, oh, my God, Seinfeld loves him because he's such a Yankee. I mean, he's such a Mets fan, and he's going to spend all this money on the Mets because he's like a fan, and that's what owners should do. Owners should spin, 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 spin. Hey, by the way, how's the uh, biggest payroll in the history of baseball doing? Uh, Not great. Really? What is that? Uh, That's uh, What are are they? I have the standings right here. The Mets. Last time I checked, the New York Metropolitans are fourth in their division at 35 and 43, opposite record of the New York Yankees, who are 43 and 35. So you have a team that has spent more money than anybody in the history of baseball, which everybody said guaranteed that the Mets would end up being great because of it. And why is that not working? Huh. Um,. And then now, it's gotten so bad that we're half the halfway point. Buck Showalter is on the hot seat. Rumors are that he could be being let go at some point. You've got the owner is giving a press conference. Oh, we want to hear from the owner. Okay, here you go. You can hear from the owner because he is going to be doing a press conference to talk about how bad his team is. And he's spending all that money. And if you've spent all this money and it's not working now, what are you going to do? Spend more to save? You know, we used to talk about the Titanic, but that's we can't really use that reference right now. But, yeah, you want to you want to the boat's taking on water. You want to spend more money to help it? New York baseball right now in sham. There's a lot of interesting things. I don't know, Cody, if you've been following it this morning, but uh, the A's just in Toronto. The Giants are taking on the Toronto and, and the Giants are taking on the Blue Jays in Toronto. Kevin Gossman's going today. Uh, that's kind of an interesting series. Well, the Brandons are back yeah. together. The best friends. Uh. That's why you um, mentioned Brandon Belt. But the Giants have won 12 of 14. They've dramatically increased their playoff odds. You know, the Blue Jays are trying to get back in the swing of things as they've now won two in a row. A's got one in that series. Uh, Bad Vlad is still hitting. Bo Bichette's leading the American League. And, and hit so that'll be an interesting series but you know you're starting to look at the blue jays you look at the yankees these are some teams that people were expecting to you know really be in the thick of things well they're all now looking up at a wild card if you could believe that they're all looking up at a wild card yeah um i've been trying to follow what's going on with the, the yankees and the mets and the padres because it's actually good uh, theater and good fodder to talk about because the Yankees have struggled, but the Mets are even a bigger story because they're eight games under, and they had that implosion over the weekend where Verland they had the, the image of Verlander just looked disgusted in the dugout. Uh, things aren't going great in New York. And uh, well, what, what, what's wrong with Verlander? He went five innings. 
Well, they signed him to be an eight-inning guy, I thought. Seven, eight Five innings. Five innings. At least Scherzer's pitching well. I mean, they got that going for them. It's really about it. It's the only positive they have. Well, it's a, but there's a lot There's a lot of uh, – oh, getting back to why I was bringing up the Blue Jays. I don't know if you followed this this morning, but Alec Manoa. Oh, yeah. Is a guy that was an all-star, looked at the future ace of – the Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, always been a heavy guy. I talked to Dave Stewart about this. Dave Stewart's known him for a while. Dave's like, he's always been a heavy guy. I'm not buying the excuse. But whether he's too heavy or not, he showed up this year feeling great about himself and uh, probably didn't work as hard maybe as he should have, and he was awful. So what did they do? They didn't send him down to the minor leagues. They sent it in. They they sent him down. Send it in is not a word, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. That I know uh, of right now. I'm a little coffee. I'm, I'm feeling pretty. Uh, they sent him down to. They train in. Is it Bradenton? Uh, that's the Pirates. Um, they are in. Uh, are they D- in Dun-Eden. Dunedin. Dunedin. That's where their single A team is. Well, where's their training complex? Is uh, it in the same spot? I'll look, it's the I'll same look right spot now. where they played actual games because they couldn't play in Canada. Yeah, Dunedin. Dunedin. All yeah. right. So they sent him there not to play for the A-ball team. They sent him there to get back in shape. And so he had his first official appearance today. It was like two innings, nine runs, double-digit hits. I thought it was 11 this runs. Is- was it 11 runs? I thought so, yeah. Hit? I mean, whatever the hell it was, ah, that is a big story today. Like, this guy was an all-star. This is a guy you're talking about. Oh, we're going to, you know, you start thinking about it. You got Jose Barrios, and you got Kikuchi, and you got Manoa, and then you're going to bring in Chris Bassett. And, I mean, you're looking at a rotation, and then all of a sudden now, uh, Bassett hasn't been as great as you thought. You don't have a Noah, and you're looking up, and there's the Tampa Bay Rays at the Orioles. These teams in the American League East are all looking up at the Tampa Bay Bay and the at the Tampa Bay Rays and the Orioles, and they are nowhere to be found. They're all playing for wild cards at this point, which is which is pretty shocking. Um, that's one of the big. So you got you got big story in Manoa. You got a big story in Steve Cohen. That that is unbelievable, and we do we now have the ace historian? Yeah, he's he's getting set up. Well, check his pass. Uh, the fact yeah, that yeah, I don't know where's pass where's Roy scanning his badge. Yeah, we scan his badge to make sure that uh, he's official as he has his press pass, as he will be getting ready. Probably the biggest game of his life will be coming up here in late August. Week zero, if he does have the honor and the pleasure to be covering USC San Jose State when my Spartans will go down and take down the Tommy Trojan and basically end the season of Lincoln Riley and the reigning Heisman Trophy winner uh, doing his Pac-12 network job. But right now working for Major League Baseball, uh, the great David Feldman joins us here, our A's historian. Feldy, how are you? Good, Tony. It's like a little Max Headroom situation here with you uh, on the monitor there. Um. Brody continues to be out, so uh, I'm in San Francisco. A beautiful summer day in San Francisco, as always. 62 degrees and foggy, just how you want every summer to it's be. Beautiful. So what are you? You're going to Lou Gehrig him, aren't you? He's going to be Wally Pip to your Lou Gehrig. N- uh, never leaving A's cast. Never. I, uh, you want, uh, that, 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 that. 
To me, cable is that uh, ship taking on water, and I no one jumped on the Titanic, if I believe. They jumped off of it. I'll just uh, say that. Uh, as you know uh, a little bit about the cable game yourself is just you deal. You're, you, you know, you're too big for cable. You're on networks. Yeah, yeah, I'm huge that way. No, no. I'm on uh, whatever, you know, you got a little uh, ham radio. I'll get, jump on that for you if you need it. So when you're not doing, you know, flying off to Atlanta doing, was it Tuesday night baseball? Tuesday night TVS baseball. And you're not, you're not working for Major League Baseball yeah. or NBC or yeah. whoever. Uh, your other little job is Pac-12. Is it official yet whether you will be at the Los Angeles Coliseum for the San Jose State beatdown of USC? <laughs> uh, that game is way too big for me, so I, I will not be there. I will be enjoying it on the uh, the television. Uh I didn't want to say that you weren't you, you you're not you know let's say you're not big enough to be on that number one crew maybe someday in your life someday but it's you know to do a Spartan game I mean they only bring in the big dogs to do a Spartan game I mean I were they're expecting I they're gonna go back to the old configurations when I went <laughs> in 1998 I went to number one versus number two you'll remember this 1988 USC Notre Dame Lou Holtz and the sure. Fighting Irish. Uh, Tony Rice and the boys going up against Rodney Pete. And I was there, and it was like 112,000. I hear this game with San Jose State is going to be so big. They're going to go back to that configuration they of might. the Coliseum. They're going to knock out those seats on the Paris-style side, right? And they're going to yeah. fill that back up. They're, the torch is going to be lit. It's going to be huge. Uh, they're going to turn people away. This is USC and San Jose State. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Week zero? Weeks it's in. like a national championship game in August. It really is. I mean, the winner of this game, they're on the track for the national championship. The loser, forget it. Season over. Yeah, I'm glad we see it the same way. All right. <laughs> it is not, Oh, by the way, quickly, Mets owner Steve Cohen, I'm watching it right now. Billy Epler, friend of the program, who now is their GM. We got to know Billy while he was with the Angels. Steve Cohen, the G, the, the owner, we love we we supposedly want to hear from owners. Okay, here right. you go. Let's hear from an owner, uh, Steve Cohen. Biggest payroll in the history of baseball. His team stinks, and he's going to talk to the New York media tomorrow. Yeah. How do you think it's going in Queens these days? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see one the quality of questions that he gets asked, and then his ability to answer those questions in a forthright and honest way. I mean, this is you know there's always been talk about New York media. Well, there's some truth to that. They are very direct and they're very straightforward, and they they take things personally. Uh, even as media members, they take things personally. So they're going to be very pointed question that he's going to have to answer. This team has underperformed the Mets. This is a better team than what they've shown on the field. Uh, you're paying so much money for Scherzer, so much money for Verlander, and you're not getting out of them what you thought. Now Scherzer has started to turn the season around, and they're playing well. But offensively, they struggle. The bullpen has been a mess. You know, losing Diaz in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, it was a blow because it moved David Robertson out of the eighth inning into the ninth inning. He's been terrific in the ninth. Yeah, but their struggles are in the eighth now, and it's that trickle down effect. Uh, can they? Do they have time to turn it around for a wild card? Possibly. Sure. There's half a season to go. There's plenty of you know. You get way hot, you go 60 and 20. You're back in the wild card race. But it's going to take a hot streak like that for them to seriously get back back in this race. A question that I've been asking, if I would have said this to you before the season, like in spring training, that by the halfway point, there would be people calling for the heads of Buck Showalter and Bob Melvin, what would you have said? Yeah, I would have been shocked by that for sure. Um, 
you know, and you look at the best teams in baseball right now, and the Miami Marlins are on that list. The Texas Rangers are on that list. The Baltimore Orioles are on that list. These are things we didn't expect, which makes this sport awesome, right? Because that's how yeah. fast things can turn around. Things can Teams that you think are just in the doldrums can be the best team the next year. And we, we've experienced that here in Oakland from 11 to 12, from 17 to 18. It can turn that quick. And things – or managers you thought were safe, you thought were geniuses, all of a sudden this year they're not as smart. Well, I, it's one of the reasons why I respect you so much because I remember that text you, you sent to me where you said, hey, June 27th and 26th and 28th, that series between the Orioles and the Reds is going to be the biggest series. I remember when you said that, yeah. and I respect that. You know, I, I turned that game on last night as part of my job for Major League Baseball. I get to watch other baseball games, and uh, – I was watching the end of that game, and there was a three-hour rain delay. So this game's getting over at midnight. Camden Yards, and that place was still buzzing. The Orioles with a big lead. They just called up one of their new rookies. And even though these fans had to sit through a three-hour rain delay, they were into it. There was a buzz. And if you talk about a buzz for a Reds-Orioles game, that's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you talk about Orioles, you talk about Reds, I'll throw in my chic pick that I liked in the National League, the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'll throw in the Miami Marlins. And then we talk about teams like the Padres and the the, uh, Mets. Yankee fans are not happy, all the money being spent. And it just, that's what's great about baseball. You never, never know. We'll crap on it all offseason. All these teams (laughs) are not spent. Just when you let it play out. The sport takes care of itself. All righty, let's do a little green and gold history. Top 10 players who played for the A's and the Yankees. Yeah, A's and the Yankees. And this is, you know, A's and Yankees, players who played for both. This goes back to the Kansas City days, really. For a while there, it seemed like the Kansas City A's were the Yankees' farm team. Where did Roger Maris come from? He came from the Kansas City A's. Where Joe DeMaestri came from? Came from the Kansas City A's. It just, there was like a pipeline going on. And it's continued, you know, even now with the A's in Oakland, uh, a lot of great players have played for both organizations, and a lot of players overall have played for both teams. Yeah. Uh, there's a long list of uh, notables or honorable mentions in this category because I was looking at guys who were, were good for both teams, right? Just not you had to be good here and then you played a few games over there. No, you had to be good for both teams except for maybe my number 10 on this list. But everybody else is really good. But there, like I said, there's a lot of guys. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and don't forget, it was my grandfather who was named the ninth manager of the 1960 Kansas City A's. And as my family, my grandfather was taking my mother, my grandmother, and my aunt, and they were little girls, and driving to Kansas City. When he pulled up to Kansas City, it was Charlie Finley had told him, I've just traded your best player, Roger Maris, to the Yankees. And let's just say my grandfather got in a major fight, according to my grandmother, with Charles Finley, uh, which, uh, with old, uh, Charles Finley, and the relationship never survived after that. Yeah, all of a sudden he wasn't going to be as smart as manager as he thought he was going to be because all of a sudden you don't have the player who's going to go on to win not only one MVP but back-to-back MVPs with the Yankees. People don't realize that Roger Maris hit his 61 home runs in 61 and won the MVP. He won the MVP in 1960 as well, the year before. That's how good Roger Maris was. Yeah, kind of like you. There's certain players that we now look back on. I was just mentioning another guy the other day, like Lou Whitaker. That oh. guys are not in the Hall of Fame. You go, wait a minute. I'm looking at Lou Whitaker's WAR. It's well over seventy. 
Uh, and we now think over 60 as a Hall of Famer. There's certain guys in Maris's there. There's plenty of guys that we can go really like. I mean, they used to try and say Tim Raines was an Hall of Famer. You're like, really? All right. Uh, do you want to start on honorable mention? Yeah, these are some guys just – Players who played for both teams, uh, and you throughout the week when you've been promoing this, I know you mentioned a bunch of these guys, but Ruben Sierra, <laughs> Eric Chavez. How about Willie Randolph? He was the A starting second baseman in the 1990 yeah. World Series, Yankee World Series champions back in the 70s. David Justice here for the Moneyball A's. Burt Campanaris, you know, and Dave Rigetti's no-hitter for the Yankees on July 4th. Burt Campanaris was the starting third baseman for the Yankees that day. Campy, wow. A's great shortstop. Starting third How baseman. old was he? He was uh, 74 years old, and he uh, could field everything. He was he was fantastic. No, I, he was he was in his late 30s. I, he might have been even 40 by that point. Yeah. Um, and for Burt Campanaris, that set the record. He had appeared in the most no hitters, whether for or against, the most combined no hitters in a career. Burt Campanaris. Uh, other greats: Mike Gallego, Hideki Matsui, Hall Godzilla, of, Hall of Famer Goose Gossage. Uh, the before-mentioned Tim Raines, who came here in 99. Uh, Johnny Damon. Danny Tartable. We can just mention guys who were appeared in Seinfeld. Um, yeah. Ken Phelps, mentioned in Seinfeld. Uh, Bartolo Colon. Obviously, Sonny Gray. Uh, Mike Blowers, who came up earlier this week. Um, Dave Rigetti, who had a forgetful time in this A's bullpen after being a great Yankee closer. And uh, Tommy John. Who came yes. here in uh, in '85 and was old then, and then went on to pitch four more years for the Yankees solidly as as an even older pitcher. Is the is he the biggest crime not to be in the Hall of Fame? The fact that he won 288 games, he has well over a hundred no decisions, and it's him proving a having the surgery, proving that it works. That has changed all these young players' careers and lives and kept them going. Is it a travesty he's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame? It really is now, especially with Jim Cott being in there. Because Jim Cott and Tommy John's career were very similar. Left-handers who pitched a long time. But like you said, Tommy John had an effect on this game that is ongoing, you know, 50 years later. That if it wasn't for Tommy John being the first one to go through the surgery, to have a surgery named after you, uh, that is a consistent mark on baseball for you know, a, a notable achievement in the game, besides being an excellent pitcher for a long time, yeah, Tommy John needs more consideration for everything that he contributed to the game. Because let's be honest, let's say that surgery did not work on Tommy John. You don't know what happens to it. I mean, you want to think that, well, we'll try it again, but Tommy John made everybody go, okay, I'll try it. Yeah, they saw the success that he could have with it. Right, here was a guy who comes back after basically a year and a half out of the game and is good. And he's he was an older pitcher even at that time. And again, that gives hope to everybody because you know, you heal faster when you're younger and then the surgery just gets better and better. But it had to be the first guy. And he was the first guy. It's named Tommy John surgery for a reason. All right, number ten. Oh, number ten. Well, maybe this one's really number eleven, and that's Jose Canseco. Because you just gotta love Jose. Jose is a Yankee. 1998 World Series champion, Jose Canseco. Close. 2000 World Series champion. Was it 2000? 2000. And this is just. (laughs) I knew he was on one of those teams. And the Yankees shouldn't even have had him. The Tampa Bay uh, Devil Rays at the time were trying to trade him 
and this is the waiver claim. So the Yankees put in a waiver claim to block him being traded anywhere, and the Rays just went, uh, you take him. And all of a sudden, Jose Canseco's a New York Yankee, and the A's happen to be in New York when he shows up. And it's just, it was the oddest thing. Here's Jose as a Yankee. Uh, he ended up playing against left-handers down the stretch, killed Mark Mulder, hit two homers against Mark Mulder that are still going. Uh, only got one at bat in the World Series. He struck out, but he's got a Yankee World Series ring. And we know how great an A he was. Uh, he got a World Series ring with the Yankees. Jose Canseco makes the uh, number 11 on the list. Number 11. Okay, i got to cross that out then. Number 11. We're doing top 11. Well, maybe not. All maybe right, my num- thing just uh, – I think he's number 10. My thing just added a number there. I guess they wanted Jose to be 11. Okay, <laughs> so he is 10. He's 10. All right, number 9. Number 9 is Luis Polonia. You know, Luis came up with the A's, and he was the A's starting left fielder in the 88 World Series. And he had a good year in 87, hitting 287. And, uh, 88, 292, 24 stolen bases. He was a very good leadoff player, uh, leadoff hitter. A terrible defensive player. His glove was about two sizes too big, and he still couldn't catch anything with it. And he had no arm, and he had no idea where to throw the ball. A's broadcaster Lon Simmons would lose his mind when Polonia would, would throw to the wrong bases. But they ended up, you know, trading for the Yankees in the in the Ricky trade. And he ends up having three tours of duty with the Yankees. 89-90s, bad Yankee teams. 94-95, they're starting to get good, right? They, the wild card team in 95 comes back. He's on that 2000 World Series team with Jose Canseco. Hits 296 that season for the Yankees, a great pinch hitter. He had been in multiple World Series with the Atlanta Braves. It was like October baseball in the late 90s. Couldn't happen unless Luis Polonia was on your team. It was just one of those odd things. It's the World Series. There's Luis Polonia. Yeah, and, and, you know, he was he was actually pretty good with what then would be the California Angels, he very good right? He was a California Angel. Yeah, he was, a, you know – a guy with not a lot of power, but your typical leadoff guy who would slap the ball, get on base, and steal bases. Um, you know, obviously he had the jerry curl going on in the hair. He had some off-the-field yeah. issues that uh, are not good. But as a baseball player, uh, he was a dependable little leadoff hitter that had a lot of success. All right, Lon Simmons. If Lon Simmons, because I'm watching batting practice right now here in San Francisco, which is right to your left right now. Uh, Ruiz is in the cage hitting. If Lon Simmons watched Ruiz play center field, throw to the wrong bases, and take the routes, how do you think Lon Simmons would feel about Este Uri Ruiz? Yeah, he would. Some of those routes in Toronto, he would not have been a oh. big fan of. Um, I know oh. he's still learning out there, and I know they're working on him. They got to find a happy place, whether it's playing in or playing back. I mean, we saw when Christian Pache was here how shallow he played. And what a difference that made. I mean, he's robbing hits because he's so comfortable going back on the ball. Hopefully that's what you want to get Ruiz to be eventually. But right now, he doesn't look comfortable anywhere out there. He doesn't look forward coming forward, back, left or right. Right. And throwing the ball doesn't always know where to go with it. So it it is what it is. All right, number eight. Claudel Washington. Mm. You know, I just – I can't talk enough about Claudel. I thought he was such a good baseball player. Obviously coming up as a 19-year-old with the A's. Uh, he ends up with the Yankees in 86-88, and these are good Yankee teams, teams that just missed being division winners. But he was terrific for them. Uh, 308 average, 11 home runs in 1988, just a solid baseball player with those, you know, close hanger shoulders, uh, can spray the ball anywhere, great defender, never threw to the wrong base. Just a tremendous, you know, competitor, 
teammate. Everybody loved Clyde Allen, and we miss him not being with us today. Yeah, he was a really good player for a long time. He was like even like because because a lot of the a lot of what like people will remember is I mean I was I was too young, but when I was growing up, I mean he had runs. I'm just looking at it now. You think about the Braves, the Angels, the Yankees. I don't. I mean, he was, I was too young for when he was an A, but I remember when I was a kid, he was a player. He was a player, and the reason you know Joe Rudy moves to first base because Claudio Washington needs to be on the field. He needs to be in left field. Uh, for a 19-year-old kid, that's what they did. And in the World Series in 74, he goes, what, four for seven in that World Series? Uh, Claudel coming up at a young age, head on his shoulder, solid professional, great ball player. It's what we don't have enough of, right? He's going to give you some average, going to give you some power, going to give you some speed, can drive in runs. There's a lot of different things. Like, we're now, because of data and exit velocity and barrel rates and everything, we're all looking for, like, the perfect mashing. It's like, this is still a sport. This is a game. You need to win a game. You've got to score more runs than the other guy, and you got to get 27 outs. Well, how do we win a game? You win a game. Star players help, but you need guys that are solid just players who do winning things. Yeah, you need professionalism, right? You need that guy, a veteran player, professional, who other players can look to and go, that's how it's done. That's how we play the game. You need that. You need that player uh, to emulate and you know, unfortunately, on this Oakland A's team right now, there's not a lot of veteran leadership. You know, there's there's Tony Kemp and Jace Peterson, but there's not a lot. And you need you need a player like Claudel. I really do think on most winning teams, you need a player like Claudel, that type of professional player that other players can bounce off of. All right, number seven. Oh, Scott Brocious, <laughs> MVP, and and that you know we when Greg Papa was the A's announcer and Scott Brocious gets traded to the Yankees after a brutal '97 season where he hit 203. He gets traded to the Yankees for Kenny Rogers, and Greg Papa and I joke that Scott Brocious is going to win the World Series MVP and he's going to open a bar in Manhattan. He's just going to call it Bros. Half of that came true. He won the MVP in 1998 for the Yankees. I, he didn't open the bar, bros. But what a perfect name. It would have been perfect. He would have been the king in New York. But he was too much too much organ in him, so he just went home after playing. But Brocious, who was broken with the A's and was a good player, had the awful 97, gets traded, and then is just a terrific Yankee. Three-time World Series winner. World Series MVP again in 98. Hits two home runs, eight for 17. Hits the big home run in 2000 in the ninth inning against or 2001 against Byung-Hum Kim, remember, to, to, to put the A's, uh, yeah. to tie that game up. Um, it was a tremendous Yankee. Uh, really a fantastic career after struggling with that 97 season. And then he's a terrific Yankee. Best team you've ever saw. Would you say 98 Yankees? No, the best team I ever saw that didn't win anything was 2001 A's. Uh, but the 98. I'm not saying didn't win anything. I'm <laughs> saying best team you've ever seen. Best team I've ever seen. Oh, that's, that's too hard. But I really liked the 2001 A's. I really did. I thought they could have done some magical things uh, if it wasn't for some Jeter play. Uh, but the 98 Yankees were very good. Uh, the thing that the 90, we talk about professionalism, that was a Tim Raines team, right, where Tim Raines is on the bench. He's a bench player, but he comes off and he has big moments. Daryl Strawberry comes off the bench, has big moments. That, that's what makes a championship team. So you have your core four, right? Yankees, right? You know, your Prasadi, yeah. your Jeter, uh, Mariano, Pettit, Wells, Cone, 
Bernie Williams, and then you have these bench guys who fill it in, and they just had a feeling that they were going to win. I mean, when they went down in the LCS to Cleveland two games to one and everyone's panicking, there was no panic in the Yankees. They knew they were the best team that they were going to win. Um, that's what's special about that team. I hate them, but it was a machine. It was a 98 team. Yankees. Like Dave Stewart has talked about, because people forget he was the pitching coach for Bruce Bochy and the Padres that had a very good team. You go look at that lineup and yeah. the great players that they had, and and Dave will just tell you, I mean, that 98 Yankees team was just, it was just a machine. It was the perfect, you had young core guys that are coming into their prime with just a bunch of just veteran guys who all bought in to win a championship. It's the construction of the team, the way they played, It was they were a monster. They were, and if Mark Langston got the strike call on, on Tino Martinez, two, two. it would have been a whole different World Series in my opinion. Number six, Nick Swisher. Swisher-licious. Swish-alicious. Again, another solid athletic on, a, on playoff teams here. Him and Frank Thomas were a dynamic duo in 2006. I mean, Swish hit 35 homers in 2006 for the A's. 95 runs batted, and it looked like every time Frank would hit a homer, Swish would hit a homer. And he goes to the Yan- he goes to the White Sox, but then he goes to the Yankees. Wins a world championship with the Yankees in 2009. Uh, it was a good player for them. Hit a home run in the World Series. He had 20-plus home runs every year with the Yankees. A solid player. Now he got a lot of flack in New York because he's Swish and he talks, and you're never <laughs> quite sure what you're getting there. And you know, he's from Ohio, and he's got a little country in him. So I don't know if he ever really fit in, and fans love booing him. But he's a World Series champion in New York. Nick Swisher ever have a bad day in his life? Never. Never. No. I remember being at the Coliseum Arena for a Billy Joel concert, right? Billy Joel. And there's Nick Swisher. Nick, how are you doing? Goes, I have no idea who this Billy Joel is, but I had a great time. Wow. <laughs> I, it wasn't that long ago he was at the – he was at the Coliseum. We got we got him to do some promos in the back of the press rock. Bro, 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 no problem, bro, bro, bro. You know, and he's hugging you, and it's like, yo, man, it's all good to see. And it's like this dude hasn't changed at all. No, and legit. I mean, I still – there's another thing I remember about Nick because he was a guy who was a son of a big league ball player, been around big league cup houses, is a major leaguer. And I remember we were outside of a, of a bar one night down in Southern California, and there was a line. And uh, someone said, hey, we can get you around. And Nick's like, no, man, I'm standing in line just like everybody else. And he was legit. It wasn't trying to show off. He was just, he didn't, that's what he was doing. You stand in line. That's what you do to get into this club. That's that's a real Nick, dude. Nick Swisher, number five. Number five. Oh, ho, ho, speaking of real dudes, uh, Kenny Rogers. The gambler. The gambler, who was a fantastic athletic, right? He never lost to the Coliseum as an A starting pitcher. 15 and 0. 15-0. And this is what the A's got in return for Scott Brocious. Now he was a good Yankee. He was a World Series champion with the Yankees in 96. Went 12 and 8. But it's so important for that A's team to have Kenny Rogers in 97-98. Kenny Rogers and then eventually Tom Candiotti giving this veteran leadership to a very young, very inexperienced pitching staff. But he was a guy who would take the ball every fifth day and he would compete and give you a chance to win. Now, he is a little weird. Kenny was definitely weird, and he had some demons going on, and he threw a punch at Jason McDonald once in an elevator in Toronto. But, hey, you know, those things happen. Things get heated over card games. Sure, no doubt about it. And and the the gambler was a really good Texas Ranger, too. He was a good team. Threw a perfect game. 
You know, yeah, I, I got it. I got into it with Cody at a spring training one time when he was still. Degrom is the greatest thing we've ever seen. I said, "Give me the gambler. <laughs> I'll take his innings. I'll take his career." Little did we know. Hey, is Degrom throwing this week? Yeah. When does he pitch? Uh, I think he's. I think we'll be pitching uh, next week. This time <laughs> in two years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I I know if the gambler was playing, I'd still be getting seven, eight innings from him every single night. All right, number four, Jason Giambi. Uh, now we're getting into the real guys, right? These are stars for both teams. I mean, obviously, Jambi with the A's was a career 300 hitter, 198 home runs, MVP. He was a really good Yankee. Now, they thought about him being a Hall of Famer going to New York. and they Yeah, that, I would say if, if, if I went to a diehard Yankee fan, expectations, contract, if I went to a real diehard Yankee fan and I said Jason Giambi, I don't think I'm getting a whole lot of uh, nice things. And that's true. And you'd have to go look at it and you go, okay, 2002 is first year, 314, 41 homers, 122 RBIs. Next year, average drops because now he's got that Yankee Stadium thing. His swing Trying to pull everything. Bit. Still hits 41 homers, but hits 250, drives in over 100. Hit 209 home runs as a Yankee. Uh, he's but a as you keep going, it keeps going like it this. It starts to drop a little bit, and then he starts and having some injuries. And all of a sudden, the health problems hit. 2003, he has to miss a World Series game because he's got the health problems. So it doesn't end on a high note there. But overall, when he was able to be on the field, first two years, terrific, starts to struggle a little bit, still hits over 200 home runs as a New York Yankee. They're not retiring his number. He's not going to the Hall of Fame, none of that. Solid career, though, for as a Yankee. And end up having – a great career at the end as being a veteran leader to where we about. were all talking about should this guy be looked at as a potential manager someday. Right. And now he's made so much money. He's got his kids. He's in Vegas and all of that. But there was a lot of talk at the end in like Cleveland and Colorado and these different spots like, man, Giambi could be a great manager. Yeah, they just wanted him on the team. Terry Francona just wanted him on the team. You know, and in Colorado, they just wanted him on the team. Uh, it was amazing to hear these, these these other managers from other teams talk about, we just want him in the clubhouse to be part of this team. Uh, he was a pinch hitter, still come up with some big home runs, but such a pro, such a good person. Uh, Jason Giambi is, is, for me, of all the players uh, since I've been a grown-up that I've dealt with working with the A's, he is number one in my book for just being a outstanding human being. Number three, Catfish Hunter. You know, Catfish with the A's, you know, ending his career here with the, you know, the four straight 21 seasons, uh, becoming the first real free agent after Charlie wouldn't pay his annuity. Uh, just a mess. But he goes out there and he signs with the New York Yankees, which, again, for a country boy from North Carolina like Jim Catfish Hunter, that was something to go to the big city like that. And he fit right in, right? 23 wins right away. 17 wins the next. World Series titles after that. Catfish Hunter. Just to, you know, people look at his numbers and they go, how is this guy a slam dunk Hall of Famer? Because you had to be around. That was one of those guys you had to be around during that time in the 70s when the best pitchers in baseball were Tom Seaver, Jim Palmer, and Jim Catfish Hunter. They're, they were so far above everybody else, right, at that time. And he, he proved it in New York. Went out there, makes all his starts, uh, complete games all over the place. He was the epitome of a 1970s pitcher who's going to make 35 starts and throw close to 300 innings. I I, I, I am shocked he is not in the top two. 
and I know who's going to be in the top two, and you're going to have to give me a re because because when you talk catfish, you're talking championships at both teams. Yep. And one of these other guys, I, I, I know who I think should be number one, no question, because I'm going to need more than just stats for this other guy who I know you're going to put on there. So you're talking number I'm two. I'm going to need more than stats because I know because I know when I now, this is where it gets into Chris Townsend's now getting older. <laughs> and Chris Townsend's really paying attention, and when I was getting older, paying attention, Yankees sucked and didn't win anything. They were perennial, never going to the playoffs. So. Who's number two? Number two is Ricky Henderson. Thank you. If you went him number one, I was, I was, I was, I was, get me off this computer. Coming through the screen, ring style. No, he, uh, Ricky, we don't need to talk about his A's career. His 1985 season, his first year with the Yankees, 314, 146 runs. <laughs> 146 runs. Yeah. 80 steals out of 90 attempts. You know, they didn't have the disengagement rule. They didn't have the bigger bases. This is 80 out of 90. Oh, 24 homers, too. Just throw that out there. As your leadoff hitter playing center field for the New York Yankees. Ricky was everything they could have hoped for. Why they didn't win, why they didn't win the division, there's no wild card, is because they didn't have the pitching. But you had the offense with Ricky, Winfield, Mattingly. Donnie Baseball. This was an amazing, amazing offensive team. And Ricky was at the forefront of it. I, You know, 146 runs, that was the most any had won had scored since 1949 when Ted Williams, Ted Williams scored 150. And people didn't do this. This was unheard of. And again, when Ricky was in New York in 85, especially, Billy's his manager, Billy Martin. Ricky was always at his best when Billy was his manager. Look at 87 when Lou Pinella's the manager. Not so good. Lou Pinella couldn't understand Ricky. Thought Ricky was faking an injury, or as he said, jaking it. Ricky's jaking it. Ricky had a torn hamstring, literally off-the-bone hamstring, and Lou Pinella wants him to play. Are you kidding me? But when Ricky was on the field and when Billy was his manager, like in 88, big numbers, big time. He was the Yankees' all-time stolen base leader. The all-time Ricky was only there, for, what, four and a half years? 326 steals. All time. It wasn't until Jeter, who played, what, 20 years, ends up yes. passing him. I, mean, I was going to bring this up. It was at the end of Jeter's career, and I don't know if I'm watching if I was actually watching the game or it was MLB Network. They go, Derek Jeter is now the all-time stolen bat over Ricky. I was like, what? <laughs> Ricky Henderson was only there a few years. It took Jeter over 20 years to catch Ricky. That tells you how great Ricky Henderson And Ricky was just, he was. And, you know, Again, in New York, it's not for everybody, right? And Ricky and the media, they didn't always get along. Uh, Ricky, you know, he struggled to express himself properly at times, and the New York media took a, took advantage of that. They took advantage of Ricky a lot. But when Ricky could play and when Billy was his manager, he was he was the best. Things changed, though, for Ricky as a Met because then they started loving him more. They loved him. They loved because now he's the older guy and he's funny yeah. and he's doing great things. Now, but what happened during the playoffs when he was playing cards, was reportedly playing cards during the last out, then everybody didn't like Ricky anymore. That did not happen. He was not playing cards in the clubhouse while the Mets were being eliminated. But that was the story that got out. Again, Ricky, though, another one who was mentioned on Seinfeld. So we have a few of these guys. All right, number one, I mean, he didn't, he didn't, 
They asked him, did you come to New York to be a star? He said, no, I'm bringing my star to New York, the straw that stirs the drink. Oh, Reggie Jackson. Uh, you know, did you see the documentary on Amazon? Uh, the Reggie No, movie? is it good? It is really good, and it's really worth watching. One of it, because they have some footage. And I thought I've seen, like, every old Oakland A's footage that existed. They had footage I had never seen before. Stuff with the A's uh, back in the late 60s here at the Coliseum. And it was, it's beautiful to see. Reggie's telling stories. He's been a very much in a reflective mood as he's gotten older. Um, fantastic A. Gets traded to Baltimore. And then as a free agent, signs with the Yankees. You know, takes the walk down Madison Avenue with George Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner and he's trying to tell him how... This is it. I mean, you're going to own this town, Reggie. You're going to own this town. Fans yelling at him, Reggie, you got to come here. And he did own that town, right? Goes to the World Series and hits the three home runs. Overcomes the straw that stirs the drink line from Sports Magazine, right? Pissing off Thurman Munson, who was the captain. He's not. I'm the straw that stirs the drink. Or later when they asked about what were you thinking out there, Reggie, and he goes, the magnitude of me. Who even thinks that? But that's awesome. The magnitude. I got to use that. Some of it, we got to figure out how to use that in life when someone goes, Townsend, it's the magnitude of me. (laughs) What you thinking, Chris? Yeah. The magnitude. I mean, just, and just, you know, the World Series in 77 and 78, even when he strikes out the dramatic game two against Bob Welch in the 78 World Series, he strikes out swinging with a big swing. The kid strikes him out. People are making poems out about it. Uh, and he comes back and hits a home run against Bob Welch in game six. I just, it's Reggie. It's just fantastic. He was made for New York. He really was. And you think about his career, 563 home runs, uh, the time with the Angels coming back to the A's. What a fantastic Hall of Fame baseball player and personality. Just perfect for the times. Perfect for New York. Steinbrenner, Billy Martin, getting in fights in the dugout. I just, there's nobody bigger than Reggie. It was great for baseball. I mean, next, I mean, they made a candy bar after him. He was in movies. He was talked about. I mean, still to this day, everybody remembers him in The Naked Gun. Now, the interesting thing about Reggie, now obviously we have guys that and gals who are watching this program and who will watch it later on, on YouTube who are younger than we are. So I always like trying to take that into perspective here because I do not remember Reggie Jackson as an A. I was really little and start to, you know, sports as he was a Yankee, but he was starting to be on his way out. The majority for me, and you think about my age, it was Reggie Jackson was an angel. He was a California angel, right? He had the glasses. He was a DH. He's getting half the gate or whatever his contract (laughs) was. I mean, he was a star, but you saw the videos. The one thing that I wish I would have saw, because people don't realize that Reggie Jackson was also going to Arizona State to play football, is what a great athlete Reggie Jackson was. I remember the first time I played down at Arizona State at their old field on campus, and you saw the retired, you saw Bando, you saw uh, Bonds and, and those guys, and you saw Reggie's number retired. You realize Reggie was a, not only was he a power guy, but, you know, because we all, all we had seen growing up was home runs and strikeouts and thinking strikeouts. Reggie Jackson was a phenomenal, when he was playing for the A's, was a phenomenal athlete. He was, and I think you got a taste of that if you ever watched the last out of the 77 World Series when Reggie has to run off the field after 
Dodgers pop out, and he's knocking the crap out of fans who had charged the field, and you can see his moves. And this is this is a little bit older Reggie, right? This is 28, 29-year-old Reggie. And he's got these moves that are unbelievable, knocking the crap out of fans. Imagine him on the football field running the ball like that at you. He was tremendous athlete. You're right. When he got to the California Angels, a little older Reggie, not quite as mobile. Still got the Angels to the playoffs in 82, got the Angels to the playoffs in 86. Comes back to the A's, and this is what I remember about his 87 with the A's. He wasn't a great player. Uh, basically DHing against right-handers. But the A's have a Monday night game, an ABC Monday night game. National TV. This was the only national TV going, right? Reggie's in the lineup. Reggie's slumping. First pitch to Reggie, home run. Because when the lights turn on, Reggie turns on. I mean, he was just built for the biggest stages, and he always came through. Yeah, go to baseball reference. You can't find any data that talks about clutch. Well, just follow Reggie Jackson's career. Just big time. Tell, big tell me clutch is not your genes. Uh, yeah, tell Tiger Woods that. Tell Jack Nicholas. Tell Michael Jordan. Tell certain people that there's no such thing as clutch. You'll be like, uh, I'm not buying it. Quickly, go back over your top ten players who play for both the A's and the Yankees. We start with Jose Canseco just because Jose Canseco is a Yankee. Unbelievable, and a World Series champion at that. Uh, Luis Polonia, number nine. Claudel Washington, number eight. Scott Brocious, who missed the marketing, opened the bar named Bros. You made a fortune in New York. Uh, Kenny Rogers, Nick Swisher, Jason Giambi, Catfish Hunter, Ricky Henderson, and Mr. October, Reginald Martinez Jackson. And that is another top ten for green and gold history. Mr. Feldman, always great to have you on the program. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Downey. Coming up next, our national baseball columnist from The Athletic, Eno Saris, right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they have an offer where you can get 20% off. Go to LinkSoul.com. Remember in the big leagues, look good, play good. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist from The Athletic, is going to join us in moments. A lot to get into with him, but, you know, something that I'm watching on the camera there at the Coliseum that I notice, something you used to not see a few years ago. The Yankees are taking infield before they take BP. Now, you might say, that's an observation. Is that that big of a deal? Well, I'll tell you. Obviously, I don't get to see every Yankee game. I don't get to see every single game, every single Rays game. But it's one thing that's been one of the advantages of doing the show from the field all these years is you get to see how everybody prepares. And the one thing we have always talked about is how after the A's get done with batting practice, the Rays have always had the A's pull the batting cage back and the Rays every single game 
they go through infield. They bring everybody out, and they go through an infield with all their infielders. And it's very extensive. And it's every single time we see them. And no other team has ever done that. I've noticed looking at the Coliseum cameras right now, since I'm in the NBC studios in San Francisco, right now the Yankees are doing something I don't remember them ever doing. They're taking infield. I wonder if the Rays, especially the last couple of years, having great success against the Yankees. And the reason why I've always brought this up, because you would think it doesn't matter, but to me it does. It has always shown the attention to detail that the Rays put in their preparation. Yeah, the opener, Cody, uh, shifting, four outfielders, all that hocus-pocus. What makes the Rays great is their attention to detail every single day. 27 outs every game, never giving up an out, never giving up 90 feet, being as fundamentally fundamentally sound, switching players. Hey, you make too much money, you got to go. But the way they go about their business every day before every game, fundamentals, 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 routine, routine, makes the Rays tough to beat. And now, Cody, off to your left, what are the Yankees doing? Infield. I don't remember the Yankees taking infield. Yankees Yankees were like everybody else. Hitters would hit. Guys would take ground balls. Outfielders would work on stuff. The Yankees are looking. They're doing the exact same thing we have watched the Rays do for years. And I just wonder if you go, hey, we're trying to get in our butt beat by these guys. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe we need to be more attention to detail it's not a bad idea really interesting no i do you're right i don't remember seeing them do batting practice before either but um it's it's really interesting to see them doing it because you think that their infield defense actually isn't that great this year i don't think i had to look at the advanced numbers but um i don't yeah i'm with you i don't remember ever seeing them do infield here i don't remember at all and and it's something that i look for all the time because of what the rays have shown us over the years Attention to detail before every game. Preparation leads to success. It's a great thing to teach everybody, whether you're you, whether you're in business, whether it's you know taking care of relationships at home, if you're a kid with your schoolwork, if you're some writer for the athletic. Attention to detail every single day, and your fundamentals will help you be better every day. Play the man is open. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Eno, it's just something that, uh, notice, you know, something that the Rays have really been the team that's been old school, that they do infield before they take batting practice everywhere they go. And we've seen it. Yankees never did that. And I just wonder, last couple of years, how the script has flipped and the Rays have kind of dominated the Yankees. Maybe the Yankees you start to realize, <laughs> we're going to get all these high-priced, you know, we're going to get your asses out there and you're going to take infield too because that, that's what I've always respected about the Rays. Everybody wants to write articles about the opener and shifting and four outfielders and, you know, from, from Joe Madden to Cash, and they invent what makes them so good 
attention to details and fundamentals every single day. Yeah, I think uh, another way this shows is in their running game. Uh, they're you know they're probably the I think they have the most stolen bases in the majors this year, and part of that is they're young. You know, of course that's part of it. Then then they they pay such attention to detail when it comes to scouting the opposing pitcher. When it comes to you know. Uh, telling their their players about the the opposing pitchers tells and uh, you know you know sciencing it out and you know it's not just uh, you guys all have the green light all the time it's uh, it's a really specific thing and I think this goes all the way down uh, to their minor leagues too they're they they they're their type of players when they come out of the minor leagues they're ready to you know do the full the full suite of prep work that you have to do in the major leagues. There are other organizations that don't do that. I have talked to players in the, that were in the minor leagues and other organizations that were like, I got to the major leagues and I saw a scouting report for the first time. And I'm like, yeah. what? Like, how could you teach your young players to get ready for a game and have attention to detail, as you're saying, without exposing them to the process of getting ready for a game? Do the Rays have the highest payroll in baseball? <laughs> no. Have the Rays been picking first pick in the draft for X amount of years? No. No, there's something to what they've been doing with how from the minor league level to the big league level to the way they – the best way to put it is the way they run their business. Mm. The way they run their business top to bottom has been pretty spot on. You know, there's also – like when I hear you, I hear a little bit about uh, the Mets and the Padres this year, right? And yeah. uh, you know they're they're they've got the big payrolls and they're having trouble uh, playing up to their payroll. And you even had players like Max Scherzer come out and say, you know, we're not doing the little things. We're not doing the little things when it comes to prep work. And that's why you know there's a big there's a big press conference tomorrow. And Steve Cohen's going to say something about the Mets, and uh, you know he says he's gonna he's gonna tell the truth or whatever it is. And, you know, I hope they don't fire Buck Walter because Buck Walter has been a details guy over the course of his career. But this year it's not working out. They're, they're, they don't have that same attention for detail. They're not doing the little things, uh, just as Max Scherzer said. And so the Mets and the Padres are both coming up pretty short uh, despite, you know, their stars. And I think that's also something to think about, you know, when you talk about the Rays being a young team and the, and the, and the, and the Yankees often being a veteran team and not doing the infield. A lot of times when you get the veterans, you pay them a lot. You want to keep them healthy, so you say, ah, we don't have to work them as hard. But they also fall into the, like, uh, I'm a stud. I'm a $300 million guy. Like, I don't have to do that. And so, you know, that's maybe something the, pa- the Rays don't have to deal with, and that's something the Padres and Mets have to deal with, which is like, no, I know we paid you $300 million, but you got to take infield. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that it gets back to so many times, and especially lately because I know John Fisher doesn't talk. Charles Johnson, the Giants guy, doesn't talk either. There's, 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 there's owners that just never talk. It's just yeah. a reality. So we're gonna see tomorrow. You know, you want? I know Dallas Cowboy fans. They got to listen to Jerry Jones talk after every single game <laughs> and every single week because he's also the GM. There is too much. Go, oh my God, I can't take it there's anymore. There's too little so like, and there okay. is too much. <laughs> you want to hear? Mark your, Cuban, you want to hear an owner talk much. tomorrow? <laughs> Let's hear what this guy's gonna say. It's gonna be really, really interesting to see what Steve Cohen is going to say tomorrow. But but that, but like you just said right there, um, you know, everybody wants these guaranteed contracts in the winter, and fans love them, right? Yeah, we signed this guy, and you're like, these long-term contracts are just – and the attention to detail. How do you get guys that got a 10-year contract to have attention to detail? But we forget so much. We're so wrapped up in data. We're so wrapped up in money. 
we forget we have a sport to play. Yeah. It's pretty simple. You got to score more than the other guy, and you got to get 27 outs. How yeah. do you do it? I had a, just a real interesting conversation with Clark Schmidt, who I really like. He's a, a starter on the Yankees. And in the spring, we were talking about a sweeper and a stuff plus and this and that. And, you know, they have you – know, the Yankees have internally a stuff plus number, and he was very – you know, he was very, uh, you know, informed about it. And so we had a whole conversation about, you know, the stuff plus on his different pitches and what he was going to do. And then he went out and he struggled. And he said, you know, I kind of had that reliever mentality where I just was going to throw my best pitches by stuff plus, throw them as hard as I could and, and, and get out of there in five innings or six innings or whatever it was. Get, get out of there when they took the ball from me. And what you saw early on in the season was Clark Schmidt had a really good three innings. And then in the fourth and the fifth and the sixth, he just always fell apart. And he was really honest about that in this conversation I had with him. And he said, you know, as a starting pitcher, it's like I'm not out there maximizing my stuff plus. That's not my job. My job isn't to maximize my stuff plus. My job is to turn the lineup over, you know. And so sometimes that means throwing a pitch that isn't my necessarily best pitch, but it keeps them from sitting on my best pitch, you know. It, it makes them think about that pitch another time, you know, the next time that, you know, they come through the order. So – um, he talked about talking to Garrett Cole and learning a lot from a veteran about how to turn the lineup over, how to throw you know non-optimal pitches, but do it enough to keep batters on their heels. Because other than Mariano Rivera, every other pitcher in the history of baseball has pretty much needed to throw lots of different pitches and keep uh, hitters from anticipating what they're about to do next. This is why it's so fascinating to have you on every single week and things that we can get into that I just can't get into with most writers because it's just it's you 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 know what they're good at so you want to make them shine my job i'm I'm a point guard i'm just here to get (laughs) what's best out of everybody right but you think as not only an analytics guy but you also think as a front office guy and that is when you think of stuff plus by the way do you have a patent on your stuff plus and the yankees need to pay you for stealing your stuff plus i i think they had it before me okay all right i had the public version but so, but you'll write an article and you'll talk about stuff plus and highlight the stuff plus. But the reality is, you've got a game to pitch, and if you go out there and you pitch like a reliever, you're not going to pitch very long. And if you're a starter that doesn't go very long, it has a lot of bad effects for you, the pitching staff, the bullpen. So it's like here we are trying to. Re- we're in an era where we're really trying to figure ourselves out, right? Like we know striking out guys and not making contact that's good but how long can you do it for before you have more tommy john surgeries is it healthy is it is it good overall for the game that you have starters not going longer like there's a lot we're kind of at a we're kind of like a fork in the road would you say with yes i want to have closer type stuff but here you have a guy saying yeah i had closer like stuff but after but once i got in the fourth or fifth i was getting lit up like a christmas tree so it's great to have it, but when to do it and how to do it. It's like we're at, a, we're at a crossroads here. Yeah, I think one of the things that I think is really interesting is the first, like the money ball, you know, but the first wave of analytics, a lot of it was like, oh, you know, it's a little bit maybe overstated, but like those guys are idiots, you know, like we know what it's like. We'd run the numbers and we know what it's like. You know, don't, don't listen to those guys. They, they don't know what they're talking about. This is what you, how you play the game. We run the numbers. We run the simulations. We figured it out, you know? And yeah. so, but the dumb thing about that is 
you know, our data gets better, our tech gets better, even our analysis gets better. So what happens, you know, three, four, five years later when you were like, no, 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 don't listen to those guys. We know what you're talking about. And then three, four, five years later, you'd be like, well, also don't listen to me three years ago because we improved the model or we figured this out or we figured this out. So how can I tell you that me three years ago was an idiot? But you still should listen to me. You know? <laughs> like, so I think what we're finding uh, with the better teams is like, yes, you know, analytics are a huge part of what they're doing. But the best teams are finding a way to say, these analytics represent the best of our knowledge right now. They're going to get better later. We're going to know more later. And we know more than we knew yesterday. But we don't know everything. And so that is the key, I think, to being like, hey, your changeup bad by stuff plus you keep getting guys out i'm not going to be the pitching coach to tell you to stop throwing that change up so you know throw that change up we love it you know if you feel good throwing it and it's getting out we love it so there's like that 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 fine line between like being prescriptive and saying everything the numbers say we do uh and then also knowing that like three years from now your numbers may say something different you might feel like an idiot so you know what I mean? like you really have to that's the, called the growth mindset where you like have an idea now and you but you know that you're going to grow. And so you, there's a tension between please listen to me. I do know what I'm talking about. But next year, I'll know even more, <laughs> you know, because it's kind of like Wall Street. You'd have these guys going, listen, we have these numbers. No one else has. If you <laughs> listen to those guys over the years, those are the guys that got you into prison. <laughs> yeah. And they sound, the they sound like the betting really guys, too, don't they? Rock solid picks. You went to jail. I got your rock solid picks. I got your I got your stocks that you got to bet on. You know? Like in baseball, you, you, you may just get fired from your job. But in other places, when guys got stuff no one else has, they get you in trouble with the authorities. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They've made movies about it. Just saying. Um, you but you know what I you like about feel. it, though? Yeah. It's like if a player – is really honest about it, right? Okay, I've done it one way. I've tried it this. It, it, we can learn so much from the guys who are actually playing if they open up and they're honest with you, like like with, with, with what you just had. It's like it's amazing what you can learn from these guys if they're truthful. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's why, you know, uh, just having this conversation with Clay Holmes and, and, and Clark Schmidt that I just had was just, uh, was just uh, you know, it's the best part of my job because – they are both fluent in analytics, but they're players, and they have so much to talk about. Like Clay Holmes was asking about, you know, how often do I think about the implication of, you know, what I'm writing for the players, for baseball as a game? Uh, do I, you know, do, what do I think about in terms of, you know, my influence on the game? And I, and I was like, you know, when I hear you talk about that, I hear about the pitch clock because, you know, I'm not sure the pitch clock leads to injuries, but – you know, there is some analytics that say yes, and there is definitely some theory that says if I ask you to throw the same amount of pitches in a short amount of time, that's going to lead to more fatigue, right? And more fatigue means more injury. So in my writing about, you know, the pitch clock, I've been very careful to – I like it I like it in terms of what it's like as a fan. I like kind of come to games. I like the breezy pace. I like working games here because it's faster, you know? And, like, you know, 162 games, you make it faster, you have less standing around. I like it. But I know that I have a responsibility in the way that I write and the things that I write about that may have some influence to, to suss it out and see if there is an injury link and if there is something to this part of what we're talking about. So, you know, just the, and, and that, that leads to all sorts of things, like how I write about stats. It has to I have to think about how this will be applied, how people will deal with, with players, with real-life human beings, and how this will influence uh, as it goes out. And so much about life, and you can say this sports or not, 
in the moment that you're in, what are you confident in? Mm-hmm. What are you confident when you got to get the job done, right? I mean, whether it's something I'm doing on the air, whether it's something you're doing with a piece, whether wh- whatever job you have in this world, but we're talking about athletes now, when you're standing on that mound mm-hmm. and you've got to get these guys out, you may have all the scouting reports in the world. You may have all the data, what's good for to get these guys out and what in the past you, but on in that moment when you're on the mound and you got that ball in the hand, what do you feel confident with? Yeah, 100%. I know change it might not be my best pitch, but it's the only thing that feels good coming out of my hand right now. And that's, I mean, you've got to go Scherzer's into survival always... mode yeah. so many times in your career when you don't have your A stuff, you don't have your best stuff. Sometimes as a quarterback, I'm going to have to throw to a guy I don't have that much confidence in. But you know what? <laughs> He's the guy that's open. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just in golf. I normally don't play a draw, but right now feels good, and I'm going to have to play. I mean, sometimes you got to go with what you got right now. Yeah, feel is uh, feel is that last little bit. I mean, no model, no model. I mean, I've had some people, you know, my stuff plus is now on Fangraphs, and you and you can sort through it and be like, oh, how could you be so wrong about Graham Ashcraft or whoever it is that I've been wrong about? And I and I said, there's no model that's perfect. You know, there's no model. If there was, they would be they would be robots. We'd be modeling robots. So. Feel is like that one thing that you have to nurture. You have to you have to help support it. You have to you can't just browbeat your players with data and just be like, no, the data is always right. You have to do what I say because the data says this. You need to give them some sense of of autonomy and 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 like leadership of their own career. So you have to give them some window where you can say, this I, I'm your coach. I'm telling you like this is a good good game plan. But if if you feel something, go for it because it is your life. You know? Yeah, it's your life, it's your career, and you just wonder how certain teams are built, and we're looking at, you know, here the halfway point, one of the exciting, and let's see what the score is, one of the exciting games going on right now is Orioles-Reds. Right now, the Orioles lead the Reds right now one nothing in the top of the fourth inning. You know, when we look at Arizona and look at Cincinnati and you look at Baltimore and you look at Miami, you start looking at some of these young, super athletic teams. You know, you had the sport that was built on home run strikeouts and walks, and now you have kind of a transitioning into – Man, we need some speed. We need athleticism. Athleticism plays on defense. Defense helps win games. Are you seeing a difference between the way teams were built for the last few years and how teams are starting to slowly be built where athleticism is back, baby? Yeah, I mean, I, I, some of those teams are young teams, right? So it's a little bit like we were talking about with the Rays versus Yankees. It's like, you know, some things are more possible with young teams, right? But I did – I was looking at something on Twitter today, and it was um, – uh, Rusty Staub. Rusty Staub got uh, – he had a record for the amount of uh, – I think he had like eight or nine pinch hit uh, singles in, in, in games. In nine consecutive games, he had pinch hit singles. And he goes and he gets the, the game ball. And I forget who the pitcher was, but I think the pitcher was 43. Rusty Staub was 40. Uh, and the catcher – Rusty Staub is so old, he played for the Colt 45. <laughs> And, and I think the catcher was 42, and it was like, you know, that 
uh, that part of where baseball used to be it seems to be going away because we now know that the peak is at 26. The rules are now, you know, in favor of a, a younger, faster game. Um, and so it is definitely – there's going to be pressure on players, on teams to get even younger. Like that's going to be a thing you hear all offseason this offseason, especially from teams like the Mets and the Padres and the, these, these older veteran teams that have, like, uh, that have under underdone their, 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 play, their, their uh, payrolls you're going to hear about them needing to get younger and, and faster and more athletic. And that's the hardest thing to do on the free agent market. So there are all these the arrows pointing in different directions. As you can see, it's like, you know, the players may be like, Oh no, like I don't get to play past 32 anymore. And uh, this is going to be just another way to stuff you know, to stuff to kill the free agent market. You know, so there's, uh, there's always these unintended consequences, but uh, I do like uh, the, the the brand of game that the Rays espouse. The Orioles are a really fun team that uh, hit the ball hard and run around uh, real fast. Uh, the Diamondbacks have good defenders everywhere, uh, and they and they play a, a speed game too. So uh, it's hard to say that I don't I don't I don't dislike anything about those teams. You know, they're 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 great young teams, and I think the Orioles in particular have real lasting power. All right, so tonight is going to be the 81st game for the Oakland Athletics. So a lot of teams are just I know I notice cuz I always write which game this is in my in my scorebook. A lot of teams are just a few games behind the A's. I don't know why the A's have played more games than, than most, but so everybody's about at the halfway point. And I saw an article Luis Arise is about, you know, tracing Ted Williams. I'm like, man, you got a long way to go. Got so hard to go, wow. dude. I mean, there's I like mean, what are half there? a season. Are there Slow down. two Let, let's play that player game. seasons of 400 baseball? baseball? Huh? How good will it be for baseball, if he does the it. new rules and everything, if he does hit 400 or at least comes close? I think it's exciting. Uh, I personally, uh, batting average is not necessarily my favorite stat. Uh, There's just usually a stat that's better than it to measure what you want to measure. But it is uh, one of the oldest stats that has a a real power over our game. And, uh, you know, I play fantasy baseball and and batting average is still like, you know, the stat you use (laughs) other than homers and and stolen bases and so on. So, like, uh, I think it's a really compelling thing. And also, uh, it's fun. It's balls in play. It's uh, running around. Uh, I also don't think he's the most um, valuable player in, in, in baseball. So it's a, it's a weird thing for me. Analytically, I'm like, eh, it's just batting average, but it's also super exciting, super fun to do, and it'll probably bring some people to the park in Miami. How's it not exciting? He hits. A bunch he of hits. Singles. It's just a bunch of singles. Yeah, it's better than watching a bunch of strikeouts that's and walks. Right. I'm, trying to, I'm true. trying to sell tickets that's here. That's true. That's true. Right? <laughs> Just keep things moving. I mean, moving. as much you as I like Ryan moving. Noda, at some point I'd like to see him swing the bat, too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. It's true. It's true. Well, I mean, well. What I, just, is, I also just don't think it's going to happen because, you know, in the history of baseball, I mean, how many player seasons have we had? We have, you know, we have 500 players every year, uh, 500 position players every year. We've been playing for 130 years. There's that many player seasons, and we've had one or two, 400 <laughs> seasons with 400. Well, that's why, that, that's why I said Ori comes That's close. the part that's like actually a, fun. Like though. a George Brett, Tony Gwynn comes It'd be close. the rarest. It would be, be, be like somebody hitting 75 homers or whatever, right? It would be one of the rarest things to ever happen in baseball. So that 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 I can get behind for sure. Well, I just to, to me if we could just I remember 
watching a guy hit 330 was not a big deal because like, there was always like a bunch of guys hitting around 330, which means there was success, there was fun. It's true. Relative to the league batting average, this is even more of a thing. It's true. Right. I mean, what's the league average now in the 230s? I think it was, it's, it's like uh, 241, as my guess. Huh. Uh, I, th- I see your crack producer maybe checking it out, but. Uh, yeah, what is our league average right now? I think it's 241, 242, 243, somewhere in there. And I think back during Tony Gwynn's time, it was more like uh, 255, 260 is my guess. But uh, the strikeouts really kill you when it comes to batting average. I mean, that's why Luis Arias, that's what, in a way, that's what batting average is measuring, right? Like On some level, it's the ability to make contact. And that's, that's what Arias' best tool is, is not striking out. Let's end on this. When talking about this series, it's hard to believe going into this series with everything that we know that the Yankees have scored less runs than the A's in June. Wow. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're running three waiver claims out in the outfield. It's uh, That's something. Yeah, I they're 30th. You know, they're 30th. There's only 30 teams. They they're got a 30th rookie shortstop who's runs striking out 30% of the time. There's, uh, yeah, this offense is uh, surprisingly bad. Terrible. I would have to say, you know, Judge is hurt. Uh, that doesn't explain everything. Doesn't explain everything. Uh, I think they're, you know, some of the bets they made on veterans haven't worked out as well as they'd hoped. Um, and then their young guys, uh, for as much respect as I have for the Yankees player development uh, process and uh, some of the results that they've had, the they've had a hard time turning out a everyday hitting like a position player, right? It's been yeah. a little while. Okay, I'll ask you this, because we're going to have Brian Hoke on next, who covers the Yankees for MLB.com. Uh-huh. We taped it before the show. Even Aaron Boone is not given any, and he's a rosy, sunshine, unicorns, and lollipops projections guy. And you have to be as a manager, but, like, there's no timetable for Aaron Judge. We're talking it's at least August. Like, it could be mid-August, late August. They're, like, hoping, like, well, he's really starting to feel well in early August. Let's just say this. Well, I'll just give you a date, August 15th. If Aaron Judge does not come back by August 15th, on that day, August 15th, will the Yankees even be 500? They are now, right? Yeah, they are now. They're forty-three and thirty-five. Bullpen has been fantastic. Yeah, they're going to ride it offense, out. Not gonna so good. They're going to be five hundred. You'll be. They'll be five hundred. I think they'll be at five hundred. Yeah, they'll be right there. If I'm wrong, it's a game off. By the way, I got the league batting average two forty-eight. Two forty-eight. Entering today, two forty-eight. And I think it was like two forty-three last year because we had the, all the strikeouts and no shift. The, we saw the shift. Uh, how was the birthday party? How was the uh, going down the river? It was great. It was really fun. Yeah, we With actually we didn't we hadn't we didn't have a, like a good enough plan, so we just flew by the by the seat of our pants, and that was really fun for you know two dads. We have our birthdays are right next to each other day yeah. to day, and uh, we uh, we normally have to plan everything out six months with the kids and everything, and so we just like we went we ended up on the beach in Bolinas. That's where we ended up. You, you, you mean two guys can just wing it and have the best time of their lives? Yeah, it was really fun. We slept in a geodesic dome. We slept in a little dome on this person's property, you know, slipped him a 20 and, uh, and slept next to a pond in a dome. It was fun. 
But if you had the wives and kids, you you would have had to plan this in 2021. Oh my God! I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're the best, buddy. Great stuff as always. And let's follow up on the uh, on what you're talking about with the Yankees pitchers and analytics. And you know, hey, I get it, but you know. There, there, there's so many interesting things that we continue to find day in and day out about the best way to play the game. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And thanks for having me. Play the man is close. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. John Carlos Stanton is taking BP as we speak. Are you worried? No, um, I'm not. Hey, by the way, I put you don't this. Think he's gonna get hurt. I put this together before uh, before we get to uh, Brian Hoke here. Um, you know, Feldman did his top ten A's Yankees. We'll have our current top ten A's Yankees who played for both. Do you want to hear the uh, the list before we get to Brian? Quickly. All right. <clears throat> so I got Billy McKinney. There was no particular order. Frankie Montas, Lou Trevino, J.P. Sears, Jace Peterson, Josh Donaldson, Luis Medina, James Caprillion, Ken Waldachuk, and Mike Aldretti. There you go. That's that's current. <laughs> yeah, current guys. Yeah, currently current. either. I mean, if you if you if you went back all time and you start throwing Philadelphia, Kansas City, it's amazing. There's a lot of connection between the. A's organization and the Yankees organization. And before they were the Yankees, they were the Highlanders. Yeah, I mean, Amelia threw us the best one. Was it Home Run Baker or whatever the other day? Yeah. <laughs> that was a great pull by Amelia. Oh, by the way, your Pirates stink. They're leading the Padres, though. I'm telling Bob, oh, Pirates, Bobby's in trouble. Pirates using the City, city Connect jerseys tonight. Not a, fa- not a fan of them. They're ugly. Pirates are up 6-3. I, can, I mean, I can give you a detail. You're, the Pirates are terrible. There was, there was a stat out there that, like, Sawinski, Castro, and a couple guys were, like, one for their last 92 or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bay is also – G1 Bay, yeah. It's, Pittsburgh has lost 15 of 18. Season I have seven games under 500. I thought this was interesting. McCutcheon, potential trade bait. Teams are desperate. Maybe McCutcheon could get traded. Uh, right now, Cincy and Baltimore, this is a series as a baseball. If you just love baseball and upcoming players, uh, watching Cincinnati and Baltimore should be exciting for you. Uh, that's 1-1 in the fifth. By the way, Ellie De La Cruz has really started to struggle since his hot start. Not looking so hot. Uh, Miami leading Boston 6-1 to one as we speak. So some interesting games out there with teams. I, I love the series between Tampa and Arizona. Uh, Zach Allen is going to be on the mound against uh, Taj Bradley. That will be a good game later on. Uh, a lot to watch, and we'll have some, uh, hopefully, a lot to talk about tomorrow. Oh, we got- by the time we come on at 4 o'clock, Cold. the owner of the Mets. Let's see how this thing works out. Can't wait and see the drama in NYC. Oh, it's going to be outstanding. Uh, I'll be on uh, – everyone's going to be on pins and needles waiting to hear what Cohen has to say for sure. All righty. Earlier today – is it ready? Yeah, I have it, yeah. Earlier today, we got to hook up with Brian Hoke, who covers the Yankees for MLB.com. Thank you so much for coming on. We, we wish you'd be out here, but uh, an interesting series here for two teams that we can both say simply – Neither of them are hitting right now. 
I've noticed that. Uh, I've noticed it on, from afar on your side, and I've certainly seen plenty of it here in New York. Um, yeah, it's uh, this Yankee team with and without Aaron Judge. It's uh, definitely a different animal, and they're trying to figure out how to get by uh, with still no set return date for Judge to get back in the lineup. So when we say no return date, and we're hearing about a ligament, you're hearing about a toe, we know the – this is one of those things. This isn't like rehabbing a hamstring or a thigh or a back. This is just you have to not really do much. Are we really, and I hate to say this because obviously, I mean, for him coming here, grew up in the Central Valley, yeah. a lot of people show up. I know that's really tough for him, but truly one of the great players in our game. And to watch a guy his size do the things he does in the outfield and truly one of the greatest power hitters we've ever seen, it sucks that he's not here. But what I'm worried is, forget July. Are we talking like August, mid-August? Hell, even September? Oh, boy. I, you know what? And I'll put it to you this way. Aaron Boone is the most optimistic person in the Yankee world, and even he can't completely tell you that Judge is going to be back this year. So I think that tells you kind of the degree of uncertainty they're dealing with, because you're right. If it was a grade two hamstring, we know what that is. This is kind of a different uh, beast here. Uh, you know, not many guys who are 6'7", 280, run full speed into a concrete block at, uh, at Dodger Stadium then have to deal with the fallout of that. So now that we have a better idea of what he's dealing with, uh, I think you understand why they've been so mysterious with the timetable because – uh, they just don't know. So they can't tell us. Um, so I think, you know, I spoke to a, a sports orthopedist in New York who has not treated Judge, but he said best case based upon what they're telling us, you could look at the first week of August potentially because that would be two months since the injury. And so, uh, you know, you cross your fingers and you wait because it's good for baseball. It's not just good for the Yankees. It's good for baseball when Judge is on the field and hitting home runs. And the good news is he is in Oakland. He wouldn't miss a trip there. Uh, that's a homecoming for him. So at least he can uh, be in the dugout and cheer the guys on. But that's really all he is right at this point is a cheerleader. Yeah, I mean, we never want to see the best players in our game and the biggest names in our game not play, especially on the road, because a lot of people want to pay the money and they want to come out and they want to see the greatness. So that is always tough. But speaking of the Yankees, just knowing like the fill-ins, what right field has been, what third base has been, you should start adding up these numbers and there's not a whole lot of numbers to, to add up. I mean, just talk about the outfield. It's so hard to believe that the Yankees – I understand how great Judge is so reliant just on one guy that he's gone and everything in the outfield falls apart. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know what's funny? They've actually gotten fill-ins from guys who you're not collecting baseball cards of. Jake Bowers, Billy McKinney, those guys have actually done a really nice job filling in guys who uh, were in camp in uh, spring training and didn't really know what their future was going to be. They've done a good job. The problem has been they've gotten almost no production out of Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, DJ LeMayhew has been very down from what he was in past years. Uh, Josh Donaldson has given them almost nothing. Donaldson, of course, a familiar name for you yeah. guys out there. And uh, I, I think that you're looking at guys who are making $20 million there and uh, are not contributing much. So you shouldn't be leaning if you're the New York Yankees on Billy McKinney and Jake Bowers to power you to victories. Harrison Bader's done a nice job, but he spent a lot of time on the IL as well. So um, they really need, and Stanton's the guy. 
Stanton is the guy that when you don't know when Judge is going to come back, well, I think the baton gets passed. And now this is Giancarlo Stanton's lineup and his team, and he's got to find a way to lead them. We've seen him done it, uh, do it at times, uh, especially in the postseason. He gets hot. He can carry an offense. They desperately need him to be that guy again. Well, and our guy J.D. is back in town. We love Josh Donaldson. Of course, we know Billy McKinney very well. He's a former first-round pick. That's right. I forgot, yeah. Josh Donaldson, a good friend of the program. We're hoping to have J.D. (laughs) on while he's here. I I understand that there was a nice, long, closed-door conversation between him and Aaron Boone. What's going on there? Well, I think that, uh, and, you know, they both said, oh, it was not a clearing of the air. And, um, you know, maybe they just wanted to spend 45 minutes before a game going over their greatest hits. I suppose that's possible, but I would bet it had something to do with the fact that Donaldson was not in the lineup for three straight days. And, um, and what is my role on this team? What's the playing time here? And so, you know, Aaron Boone said that uh, Donaldson's going to play a lot as the uh, the third baseman. They're going to work with Mayhew in there as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I am curious to see how often Donaldson is in a lineup going forward because, as he said, he can't remember a time ever in his major league career where he was not in the lineup for three straight days. And the batting average has not been great. He's hitting 125. Uh, he has hit for some power, so that's encouraging there. And Boone said – you know, scratchy underlying numbers. Go look at his uh, exit velocity and, and those kind of advanced analytics, and it's better than 125. But at the end of the day, 125 is still 125. So uh, they think if they give him more run here, more runway, as Brian Cashman put it, uh, he needs he needs to get some more at-bats to, to kind of have everything balance out because the production just has not been there. But they think he's better than what he's shown, and uh, I think he's going to get an opportunity to prove it. Well, let's give some positives because it's not like this team is completely off the rails at 43 and 35. Now, obviously, you don't want to look up at a historic year by the Rays. All of a sudden, here come those Orioles. We knew they were going to be good. Will they continue to be this good? they got a great series going on with Cincinnati right now. But the bullpen, the bullpen is still lights out. And in modern-day baseball, bullpen's a big deal. Talk about how good they've been. No, they really have been. And, you know, uh, I think if off the top of my head, I think their bullpen ERA is the best in baseball at 2.85. And they, they've been sensational. You know, if they get a lead and they've had to win a lot of one-run games of late, uh, they've been playing those tight and close games. They get a lead to those late innings, they can lock it down. And so, uh, yeah, between Clay Holmes and, uh, you know, Michael King and Wandy Peralta and Ron Marinaccio, I mean, they've got guys down there who have done a really nice job. And Holmes especially, uh, you know, the Yankees are in a situation here where, look, Judge is going to be on the all-star team. He's not going to play. Garrett Cole's probably going to be on the – I think he's a lock to be on the all-star team. We don't know if he's going to pitch. Holmes might be their third representative there at the All-Star game, and that might be it for this team. So I, I think that he's done a really nice job out of the bullpen. He's got nine saves, uh, has looked really good of late, so uh, is working his way back in the uh, the circle of trust. And so, yeah, that's the one positive, I think, that uh, if you want to look at this Yankee team, if they get a lead late, they're locking it down more times than not. You know, when you look at the AL East, and we've spent a lot of time playing the AL East this year, so we've got a good look. We've already run through Tampa, uh, Toronto. Just The A's were just into Toronto. When you talk about 
disappointment so far in the season. I'm not, you know, I mean, like I said, Toronto, we just saw them. The Yankees are 43 and 35. That's not really disappointing. But just when you think about what you want to be and looking at the Rays and Orioles ahead, just kind of tell us, and you can throw the Red Sox in there too. What's it like for the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Red Sox is we're about to hit the halfway point. Yeah, and I think that, um, yeah, you look at their standings and you say, okay, their record's pretty good, but then that deficit in the division is huge, and nobody, nobody saw Tampa Bay getting off to the start they did, and they've uh, they've cooled a little bit, but not enough where the Yankees have been able to make up any ground. And Baltimore, the Yankees knew that they were going to be good. Hal Steinbrenner was just talking about this the other day. Said we knew Baltimore was going to be good. We didn't know they were going to be this good this fast. And so uh, they've got a pretty formidable division there. Where look, if you could airdrop the Yankees and their record into one of those other divisions, they're going to be uh, have a healthy margin of lead here. They're going to have to really fight to to scrape for a wild card and at least make up some ground here. And yeah, you mentioned the Red Sox, who a team that uh, are are at the bottom of the division, and the Yankees just got swept in a three game series at Fenway Park. And so um, yeah, there's no off days really uh, when you're playing in the division. And I think if you look at the Yankees' record within the division compared to outside of the division, it, it's stark the difference. And so uh, they've done much better when they get to play teams from the other divisions no offense Oakland so uh, I I think that uh, that's probably the way it's going to continue to trend here and the Yankees do have a a softer schedule relatively so coming up here where they're going to start facing some teams that are have records under 500 and after this uh, series in uh, Oakland they head to St. Louis so they get another one there. I've liked the storyline of, you know, the East, we're not going to play each other as much, so we're now going to all take it out on you guys. (laughs) And they have. It's one of the best winning percentages because I know the best winning percentage inside a division for since the wild card era started out, it's actually 01 and 02, the AL West were the A's. And I mean, one of those years, Seattle won 116 games. But right yeah. now, trending, this could break the record. So it's really interesting to see the East feast on everybody else. Now, when I think about the Yankees getting back to them, the team you cover, and it's like with a lot of other teams, I keep hearing saying, well, you know, uh, by the deadline. And it's like all these teams are talking about the deadline. There's nobody to sell. Right. All the sellers, I mean, you're going to cut. We'll give you anybody you want. I mean, <laughs> I mean there's you, and if you're a if you're a bad team that's rebuilding, you're not selling your young players. You're building on no. them. So there's really nobody. We got all these teams that are talking about the deadline. I just don't see where you're going to go find pitching, bullpen arms, a bat. I just don't see it. No, and it's funny you mentioned that because uh, my my buddy at MLB.com, Mark Feinstein, just did a story where it's kind of like deadline targets you might want to think about. And I think the most appealing name was Aroldis Chapman. And I looked at that and I said, the Yankees aren't trading for Aroldis Chapman. <laughs> I mean, that experience is over. So uh, I think that a lot of these teams are going to stand pat with what they have. And that's why, uh, you know, just to focus on the Yankees here, Brian Cashman was talking about, look, we're not going to trade for someone to replace Aaron Judge. First of all, you can't do it, really, unless you were going to go get Otani or Trout, and they're not going to do that. And so um, that's not on the table here. And he said that, uh, look, uh, the acquisitions they can make along the way, and they've kind of beaten this drum over the past few years, but you get a healthy Carlos Rodon back and you plug him into the rotation, that's better than anything you're going to find on the trade market. And the good news is for the Yanks, 
Uh, it looks like he's about one turn away. He's got one more minor league rehab start. They can plug him in right around July 4th, and then he could probably make their first start coming out of the break. And that's as big a pickup as you can have there because it's a guy who uh, you threw – six years, 162 million at, and he hasn't thrown one inning yet. So um, I, I think Yankee fans should be excited for the idea that Carlos Rodon is on the way and he can help out this rotation a lot. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to give Aaron Boone and the Yankees any credit, you say they've been dealt with a lot of stuff and this is where they're at. And if they do get healthy again, maybe it is just a wild card team, but you know, to get where, where they are now and survive and maybe what they could be at the end of the season, you're going to have to give Aaron Boot a, a lot of credit for holding down the ship. Got to be in it to win it, right? And that's the uh, the first key. Look, yes, you would rather win the division. That's their goal coming in. But um, at this point, I think you settle for if you if you have to get a wild card, go ahead and win that wild card series. Go on to the DS, make some noise in the postseason. And and with the guys they have, like like we said, you got a healthy uh, Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon at the top of your rotation. I like your chances in a, a short series and get those guys the ball as often as you can. And then fingers crossed, knock on wood, you get Aaron Judge back and hitting the way that he was before he ran in that wall at Dodger Stadium. And uh, then I think you're in business. Let's end on this. I love New York coverage. It's my favorite. Steve Cohen is going to have a press conference tomorrow. The dumpster. When we were at the winter meetings in San Diego, they're spending all this money. Oh, Steve, Uncle Steve's paycheck. Everybody's. It's a dumpster fire over in Queens right now. An absolute dumpster fire. What's coverage of baseball like in New York right now? I know Yankee fans aren't happy because of their expectations. Flip it over to Queens. This is the highest payroll in baseball history, and they stink. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to see what he's going to say because you're right. For as all the uh, the stress and the strain that uh, the Yankees have put their fans through, I mean, the Mets, I mean, the expectations are sky high. You think that this is going to be their year. I mean, they're a team built to win the World Series, and it looks like they're just headed in the complete wrong direction. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a uh, – what could go wrong has gone wrong for that Met team. And, uh, yeah, you know, Steve Cohen, if he's holding a news conference to kind of address this, uh, I can imagine he's got a thing or two to get off his chest. And I think that, uh, honestly, crazy, I never would have thought this a year ago, Buck Showalter may be on the hot seat here uh, because I don't know. Uh, look, you got to do something, right? And uh, for a, as a situation where you thought – that this is your guy, he's going to steer you to the promised land, and it is just completely not happening. I I, I never advocate for uh, making changes at the manager position, but I think that uh, there's certainly been a lot of drum beats out there, people saying, look, this is not what we signed up for, and uh, it's it's been a mess in Flushing, no doubt. Yeah, I know we got to go, but if I would have said to you before the start of the season, we're not even at the halfway point, and Buck Showalter and Bob Melvin of the Padres, that there's a lot of talk out there that there needs to be changes. What would you have said? <laughs> I would have said, man, I, I would like to uh, have some of what you've been drinking because that is crazy. Yeah, I would not have uh, bet that. But that's what's great about baseball is that we, we really can't predict it. You know, credit to John Sterling, who always, say, always says, Susan, you can't predict baseball. And you can't. You don't know what's going to happen. And uh, that's the fun of every baseball season. Hey, we really appreciate the time. You be well, and let's hook up later in the season. You got it, Chris. Thanks for having me. Help if I turn the right microphone on. That's going to do it for Ace Cast Live. We want to thank. 
Brian Hoke, who you just heard of from MLB.com, who covers the New York Yankees, Eno Saris of The Athletic, and David Feldman for top 10 A's and Yan- A's players to play for both the A's and Yankees. Coming up next, A's Total Access brought to you by Chevron with Jessica Kleinschmidt. Tomorrow, A's Cast Live. Chris Townsend and I will be back. We'll have A's General Manager David Force, Scott Emerson, the A's Pitching Coach, and much, much more. We want to thank you for watching and listening to A's Cast Live. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 p.m. Jessica Kleinschmidt up next with A's Total Access brought to you by Chevron. Thank you for watching and listening to A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend, and it is summertime. You want to look your best, and I can't tell you how excited I am. Commander Cody, we've got our new shipment from Link Soul, all the summer gear. So whether you're playing golf or you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out with your buddies, or you're going to the beach, go see our friends at LinkSoul.com. And right now they have an offer where you can get 20% off. Go to LinkSoul.com. Remember in the big leagues, look good, play good. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.